So this is Rose Martin's burial. She was a wealthy woman in Indiana, and she was buried in 1998. And she said, I want to be buried in my 1962 Corvair. And so they put that casket in the back of that car, and she had the money set aside to pay for it, and she got buried the way she wanted. The, the, the rumor goes that there was a Texan watching them bury her, and he leaned over to the guy next to him and said, man, that's living. What an oxymoron, right? To say how you're buried is how you're living. But it, it really does underscore what does it mean to be living, to be living it up, to be living the good life, to life, for life to go the way that it's supposed to go. We, by nature, have a different opinion than God, especially than Jesus. And today, he challenges our paradigms for what it really means to be living. And uh, we're going to see it when he talks to Peter and the boys. It's his third year. He's not far from going to the cross to die for the world. I mean, his life is coming to an end. It is all in full color to him, ahead of him, and he's choosing it. And he's choosing it, Hebrews 12 would say later, for the joy that was set before him to redeem us. He's choosing rejection. He's choosing torture. He's choosing the God turning his back on him. He's choosing the dying process and death itself and the shame of, in the way that he died as a criminal and being called an imposter and having everybody define him publicly as a weirdo and a wacko and a, and a bad person and a liar and a deceiver, they called him. He's choosing all of that because if he did not choose it, he could keep it all from happening, even humanly speaking, by not going down to Jerusalem. And he chose it all. He's getting his disciples ready for this. So he, he was transfigured before them, right? Peter, James, and John showed his glory. Then he asked Peter and James and John and the rest, who do people say that I am? And he clearly affirms to them that he is their Messiah when Peter says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. In public, Jesus has been rather coy about letting that be proclaimed or answering the question directly because they, the Jewish leaders would use it to kill him immediately. So he waits until his trial. So in private, to encourage his disciples, he, he, re, he lets them confess it and reveals it to be true. It's all in Matthew 16 where we are finding our text. And it's right before this. And he says, who, who am I in your eyes? And Peter said, you're our Jewish Messiah, the Messiah for the world. And Jesus says, you are blessed because God the Father has revealed that to you. And your name is Rock. And on this rock of confession, I'll build my church. And Peter's thinking, man, this is living. We got the Messiah. And he's admitting it. And he's showing it in all the miracles he does. And we get to be close to him and this is what Jesus says next. Right after, Peter's like, yeah. Watch what Jesus says. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. They always thought Messiah would go to Jerusalem and be core, uh, core, uh, made king, right? He would suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. 
I just want you to imagine that after church today, you, were, you, you followed Pastor Herring into his study, and he shut the door, and he said, I just want to tell you that Pastor Patterson is sending me up to Temple to preach next Sunday, and there's going to be a man that storms into that church, and he's going to torture me in front of them and put me to death before the police first responders get there. What would you think you'd want to say to Pastor Herring? Don't go! Right? This, doesn't, this isn't your lot in life. Tell Patterson to quit doing that. Send you somewhere else. Don't go! Not you! Maybe multiply that times 10 with the messianic hopes that Peter had. And he's like, everything inside of him is visceral about what Jesus is saying. And who would blame him, right? We wouldn't. But Jesus, not really blaming, but he's pointing out now what's next. Jesus is actually in a battle to keep his own holiness as he heads toward the cross. He's put, this is what it says. Jesus turned. It says in one of the other gospels, he turned and looked at the other disciples who were watching the conversation. He turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. This get behind me, Satan, is the exact words Jesus said in the third temptation when he was out in the wilderness with the devil and he was tempting him to avoid the cross. So just bow down to me for a second. I'll give you the whole world. I won't bother you anymore. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. He's not just telling Peter where Peter got the thought. But Jesus is actually dealing with Satan because Satan is trying to take our Lord down by using the mouth of a friend and an admirer and a, and a disciple. And Jesus could see through it because of the content of what Peter was saying. This should never happen to you. The whole reason he came to earth was not to get as much as he could, spread out his arms, and grab all the toys and all the fame and all the accomplishments and all the degrees and everything else he could. No, it was to spread out his arms and gather all the souls that he could, all of us, to die for us. This was the crux of the matter of Jesus' whole life. Jesus was living. Man, that's living. By coming to suffer and die for us, the joy set before him was your soul. And mine, and we have no hope without Jesus. And if you know his person, he's the Messiah, Son of God, and you know his work, his came, he came to die for us and save us, then you know all of this is what it means to be living as a Christian in faith. See, to be living doesn't mean that you're really better than you used to be at behavior and thoughts. To be living doesn't mean that you're better off than you used to be. To be living doesn't mean that you have accumulated what you want to accumulate to be happy or avoided certain things that would make you unhappy. That's not what it means to be living. But I know, because you're like me, day to day, rubber meets the road, you go up and down emotionally because you do naturally believe it's those things. Don't you lie to me. We naturally think it's a bad day if bad things happen to me, and it's a good day if good things happen for me. 
But spiritually, Jesus would raise us out of that and say, don't be mindful and just concerned about the things of men, but be concerned about the things of God. Could it be that it would be a good thing if your brother sold you into slavery for the planet? Joseph would say yes, right? And we could go through many examples where saints learned that it was a good thing when bad things happen. And next, next uh, time I'm up here, we're going to do Joseph's forgiveness of his brothers. And so it's in Genesis chapter 38 and 50, and you'll get there with me. But let's get back to this one. So Jesus is saying, get behind me, Satan, because this is why I came to planet Earth. And you're not going to stop me. I'm going to have the joy of saving humanity through the sacrifice of my own life. I am willingly taking up the cross. Later in this month that he's in, Jesus would say to his disciples, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Now I want to ask you, does anybody take your life from you? Sometimes you think they do. And you get angry and bitter and scared. I know because I'm a human, I do too. <laughs> the Apostle Paul was a, you know, used to, there was a guy that I went to church with when I was, when I was a, in the 20s. And uh, he said, I would say things like this to him because I was reading it and studying. He goes, yeah, but that's Jesus. He's perfect. He can do that. Well, the Apostle Paul was told by the Holy Spirit, he said, and the prophets who were filled with the Holy Spirit around Paul that he was going to go to Jerusalem, be arrested, and then ultimately end up in prison. And he would never see the saints that he had started all those churches on earth again. And so he tells them that, book of Acts, he tells them this. And one group says, don't go to Jerusalem. And he said, why are you stressing me out by making me cry with you? Leave me alone. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'll even give my life for him. That was a sinner saying that. That was not Jesus. Right. So there's a place which the word of God by the Holy Spirit for you and me, there's a place where God can bring us to at least experience some of the joy of self-sacrifice. But it comes at first understanding that you've been sacrificed for completely. God himself died for you and you are safe and you are saved. And you find your greatest joy in that. Not in how well you sacrifice yourself, but just how well he did. And you find great joy in that. But now, if you want to still be living the way the text admitted, what's life look like? Jesus isn't going to leave you to figure it out. He's going to tell you. Ready? Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? I, I had Jennifer highlight that in yellow. This is, this is the main point. Everything else is built on that. Whoever wants to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. We talk about crosses like cancer is a cross to bear and losing your job is a cross to bear and marriage can be a cross to bear. But that isn't what Jesus is talking about. It's something deeper than that. It's one level deeper and it's a lot 
It, it preempts it in chronology in your thinking. This is the cross of self-denial. The picture is of the Romans who crucified people, and it was a horrible way to die, so everybody shrank back from it and tried to do everything and avoid it, and sometimes fighting and fighting all the way to the cross, wouldn't even want to carry their own cross because it was a demoralizing thing to do. It was painful and scary, and you're going to get killed. And so Jesus has this picture, take up your cross, deny yourself, and go to your crucifixion willingly for my name's sake. It would happen to many Christians that they had to do that for their Christian faith. Peter was one of them, the guy telling him here. It's to deny yourself doing what you believe you have to do to make yourself happy in a worldly way so that you can serve God and your fellow man. You take up the one cross of self-denial and you carry it. And then you're, if you're carrying it and I bump into you, it'll show up in the way that you serve me. And I, my cross will show up in the way that I serve you. And it'll show up if I've served God above you. Like if you become like Peter and you try to talk me into doing something or not doing something for the wrong reasons, it would show up that I would say, no, I'm going to follow God. Come what you think. I don't care what you think. I'm going to do what God wants me to, but I'm also going to serve you because I don't care what I think. Haven't you ever caught yourself either thinking or, or doing this in a relationship where you were counting up all the ways that they let you down and you just finally had to unload it on them because you were hurting all over because of it? Guess what? Most of the time that list is so big because you haven't denied yourself. This, this challenges so much of our normal thinking. This is a game changer, a paradigm changer. You see, taking up your cross and following Jesus means that you'll serve God and others when it's not convenient. It's when you'll serve God and others when you, when you would naturally rather to do something else. It's when there's nothing to be gained by it. No favors that you're looking for. You're not trying to make a sale. You're not trying to win somebody's over to some bigger plan you have for them to help you with life. It's just serving others selflessly and serving God the same way. And it comes deep in your heart with joy if you're always watching Jesus and like coming to church today and hearing his story of his love for you again helps. You're always thinking about how Jesus is that for you. But you lose sight of Jesus and you ain't got the mojo to keep this up. You're going to finally end up trying to earn God's favor, earn people, impress them, do whatever. Get your way, get your pound, get your money, and run. But Jesus says, I'm with you. I'm your Savior, and, and you can deny yourself as you let me show you how I denied myself for you every day. Um... What's this thing about losing life and saving it? It has partly to do with what that opening illustration I had where she's, she, while she was living, she said, bury me in my car. And so her last days, that was kind of her thought and her comfort. She'd be really, really living in death because she'd be buried in her car. It has to do with thinking that your temporary life has more value than it really has. 
All flesh is as grass, and all flesh, the glory of all flesh will fade like a flower and the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls. This is Isaiah 40. From the word of God, it stands forever. Our lives are so temporary. You ever played the game of Monopoly or the game of life? Both of them are about accumulating. They're American games, right? You, you accumulate and you, you go through life and things happen. And whoever wins the, either one of those games, always the one with the most money, right? But guess what happens? None of the money's real. You fold it up, you put it in a box, and you're back to real life, right? That's an example of what this life is that you're living right now. So if you're trying to get yours, whatever attention, all the way run the gamut, you're rec not recognizing that we're gonna, they're going to fold it up and put it away, and your temporary life doesn't mean anything. I got to go to Rome once a few years back. I was amazed at how many of the, the uh, Roman, Italian Caesars had forums to their own glory and name, and then the Italians that became popes did the same thing. Well, they got bodies under glass. They got statues in churches all over. And they're, they're popes from hundreds of years apart from one another. And everybody's got their, their thing that they're trying to hang on. Those guys are dead. They're gone. They're not even realizing the glory that they'd hoped that they would establish by putting something up. There's no edifice you're going to put on earth. Nothing you're going to accumulate. Nothing you're going to be that's going to matter if you lose your salvation. Wouldn't you much rather be in heaven with your glorious, loving, self-sacrificing Savior while everything on earth is burning up and passing away than being in hell? <laughs> and all that's burning up and passing away? You want to be better off or worse off? Of course we want to be better off. That's what Jesus says when, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Knowing God is the greatest thing in your life through his Lord, his son Jesus, your Lord, is the greatest thing in life. Everything else, you can take it or leave it. You can lose it or gain it. I know it's hard because it's hard for me. And I know that I've been preaching this and talking about it for a really long time. It's still hard for me. But God gives us his word like this to get us back on track. Look what Jesus says at the last part. There's actually another verse after this one, but we're just taking 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels when they fold up the game. That's what he's saying. And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. He's not saying, if you get this right, you'll save yourself. What he's saying is, I'm going to come back. And as my disciples who live by faith in me, I saved them, but they live by faith in me, practiced their faith and did things like serving their kids or serving their spouse or serving their church community, people, their enemies, serving God, standing up taking it in on the chin, turning the other cheek for Jesus, when they do that, I won't miss one act of faith. 
I'm going to take each person and go, remember when you were 14 and da 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 Remember when you were 21 and da 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 Remember when you were married and da 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 Remember how you cared for your friend? And remember that guy that hit you and, you, you know, the, your cars, you had a wreck and you were loving to him? Remember, I, I'm rewarding you for that. I'm rewarding you for that. I'm rewarding for that. I don't miss a thing. So all that feeling you've got about recognition and acknowledgement, do it for one person. Jesus, who did the same thing for you. Make it a, a love affair between you and the Lord because he's coming back and he's going to acknowledge it all. Let's go to that last slide. How, how would you listen to this word from Jesus today? I thought of these four things. Gather everything that makes you happy Gather everything that has made you unhappy and trade both of them in for Jesus. Say, Jesus, I'm trading them in for you. This is what Jesus told a parable about a man who was shopping for pearls and he found the pearl of great price and he sold everything he had, Jesus said, and he bought that one pearl of great price. All the things that you've been heard about, bitter about, or whatever, let's trade them in for Jesus. And all the things that you've been so proud of and happy about and you think you're so great for, let's trade them in for Jesus and let's just take Jesus home. And then you let your light shine. And you know what people will say? She must be living. Man, he must be living. There's so many ways it expresses itself. I'll close with one little story. It's not really monumental, but it's very, very insightful. A pastor told me this when we were talking about this uh, text, Jesus talking about what it means to really be his disciple. And uh, he said that week, this is an old story for me. It's like happened, the conversation I had happened 15 years ago, but the thing that happened the week before that. So he said, I have this gal in my congregation and she has, she has always done this, this mother-daughter thing at like a banquet every year. And she's, she puts her signature on it. It's got a stamp of her personality, her pizzazz, her poise, everything. And she's got a notebook for it. And a new lady joined our church and wanted to be involved with this. And she got excited because she was asked to be, help out with the mother-daughter banquet. So we had our meeting, okay, longtime veteran, newbie. And the pastor, and he said, I, I had talked ahead of time to this woman about the, the, the longtime veteran about what she was planning for this next year's banquet. And so I knew what she had in mind. She'd given a lot of thought. We came to the meeting, and the woman that was new to this whole group and new to this thing, she had a couple of pages of notes. She opened them up and said, I was thinking we would do this and do this and do this and do this. And the pastor's thinking, I know that this other gal's got a whole bunch of ideas and a whole, this is her baby. And he said, she closed her book. And she goes, tell me again what you had in mind. Let's see how we can put this together. And she put aside all that stuff. And he said, it was the most beautiful act of faith and love in a very small setting that I've seen in a long, long time. You know what I say? Man. That's living. Amen.